We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today on the timeline, we put the Spurs to rest. We talk the NBA draft and we make our predictions. Let's go. We are gathered here today to lay rest the notion of Spurs supremacy. Long gone are the days of the no-drama Spurs. We put to rest the legacy of the hip check, the quote-unquote beautiful basketball, and the universal Greg Popovich love. Like a host escaping Westworld, a top five player asked to be relieved of the shackles of Greg and will be free to join the world of, well, having a personality. Today is the day I can finally say I have something in common with one of the greatest athletes in the world, because like the Defensive Player of the Year and MVP candidate Kawhi Anthony Leonard, I also hate the Spurs. My name is Mike, and welcome to The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. Sam Cooper, well done. how are you doing? Well, well done. God, I hate the Spurs <laughs> so much. The only thing I'm going to say, Mike, we're going to look like such idiots if somehow Scott Bordeaux's report turns out to be false and we end up with Kawhi Leonard. Now, it's, it's really not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but we would look so stupid. Well, here's the thing. Even if they do trade Kawhi Leonard... There's a good chance that they're going to get something amazing in return anyway. 
so it's very possible the Spurs can be great again. Now, of course, if they end up getting Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, I'm not a huge believer in either one of those players, but it could be interesting regardless. And for those who are wondering what the hell we're talking about, uh, there was a Woj bomb uh, that Kawhi Leonard wants to be traded from the Spurs. Kawhi Leonard has one year left on his contract uh, for the 2018-2019 season, and the rumors have begun, and, and maybe the end of the Spurs dynasty. What do you think? Finally. Um, look, I'm just happy that for years and years and years there has been this uh, universal love for Kawhi Leonard on the Spurs and this concept that he is like this god of humility, that he will do anything to sacrifice to help his team win, and that's why he's so quiet and humble and doesn't like talking to the media. And now it turns out that he wants to go to a big market like New York or L.A., just like everybody else. I just think it's incredibly uh, ironic. Uh, I've been laughing my ass off. And yeah, man, I mean, it'd be so nice to see the Spurs dynasty finally come to an end. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it seems like every summer now we're going to get a new rumor of a star player wanting to move teams. I guess this is the new NBA uh, pre-agency, as Bill Simmons calls it. Players using the leverage of the final year of their contract to force a trade onto a team that they want to go to. Now, the rumors about Kawhi is that he wants to go to Los Angeles. Now, that means, of course, the Lakers. I think that would be his preferred destination, but there's also the Clippers. The Clippers have a lot of assets they could move for uh, Kawhi Leonard as well. And there has been an interesting report by Kevin O'Connor, who... Kevin! Kevin O'Connor. <laughs> Kevin! Who works Kevin! For the Ringer. And <laughs> Kevin O'Connor said some, something interesting. He said, several league sources told me that they anticipate the Suns general manager, Ryan McDonough, will probe a Leonard deal using the number one pick. Now, I want to break that down. First, several league sources told me. That just means anything, right? I mean, he didn't say who it was. When you don't reveal your sources, well, it could just be the assistant general manager. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the problem with sports journalism in, in general. Um, I really like Kevin O'Connor. I think he's uh, great in terms of defending the Suns, whereas most of the national media... <laughs> whereas most of the national media doesn't do that. But uh, yeah, it's pretty clear that this report is uh, just... There's not much weight to it, and there's no reason for us as Suns fans to be worried. Back when Ryan McDonough was speaking uh, at the draft combine back in May when he was on national TV on ESPN, he said that the Suns would only trade the number one pick for a handful of players that are proven young stars with multiple years of contractual control left. I mean, that's talking about a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, not a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Then you factor in the reports that uh, Greg Popovich and the Spurs in general are very, very hesitant to trade Kawhi to any sort of Western Conference rival. And I just, there's no reason to believe that we're actually in danger of doing this. So, The Spurs and the Suns don't have a lot in common, especially Spurs fans and Suns fans. Spurs fans are maybe the most spoiled of any fan base there is, and Suns fans maybe one of the most tortured of any. But one thing we do both have in common is we both hate the Lakers. So hopefully the Spurs really make do on that and they don't trade him to the Lakers. I don't want to be in a Pacific division that has the greatest team of all time in the Warriors and then a Lakers team with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and LeBron James. Uh, that would just... That'd be torture. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready for that. Yeah, neither am I. It's yeah, That would be absolute torture. And, uh, you know, and even the Kings and Clippers are showing some promise, too. It seems like everyone uh, in, in our division 
is on the come up, which is a little bit worrisome. We really have to make some moves to separate ourselves from the rest of the pack. Now, the good news is the great Scott Bordeaux, who I believe is the greatest Suns reporter alive right now, did state that there is no chance the Suns are trading the number one pick for Kawhi Leonard. So we don't have to worry about that. But we have other assets as well. Now, I want to go over a couple rumors about Kawhi Leonard, first of all. Now, there's a couple things that we heard. We heard uh, One, Kawhi Leonard wants to go to a large market. But there's two other things that I've heard that are maybe falling under the radar a little bit. The first thing is that Kawhi Leonard wants a payday from Nike or a sponsor one of his sponsors. We can assume it's Nike. That's his largest sponsor. Now, Nike has told him that they are more likely to give him a large payday if he teams up with another star. Uh, You know, the notion of small markets seems to not matter as much as it used to. Uh, You know, Russell Westbrook is one of the biggest stars in the world, and he plays in Oklahoma City. It doesn't necessarily matter if you can... Russell Westbrook has a personality. That's the difference. Uh, Very true. Leonard doesn't have a personality. That's the other interesting report. I'm glad you mentioned that because Kawhi Leonard, the other thing that people are saying, and these are, of course, rumors, nothing is verified this time of year. But the other thing is that Kawhi Leonard does not want the pressure of being the largest star on a team. He wants to be able to play with other players that can take that pressure. I think this is one of the reasons why these Celtics rumors are heating up at this point. If he does end up being on the Celtics, I think he'd still be their best player, but there's a good chance that Kyrie Irving will be their most popular player. Now, having said that, Kawhi Leonard wants a Nike payday. Two, maybe doesn't want to be the largest star on his team. Say we do not trade the number one pick. Would you be willing to trade a package revolved around revolving around Josh Jackson? Uh, and now let me, let me before you answer, let me break down why. One, Josh Jackson. I love Josh Jackson. And I'll, I'll talk about whether or not I'd be willing to do this. But the other thing is Devin Booker would still be the most popular player in Phoenix, even if Kawhi Leonard was playing on the team. Now, Kawhi Leonard is a better player than Devin Booker right now. But I'm a Suns fan, and that does not matter to me. Devin Booker would still be my favorite player on the team. He's just much more likable. He has a personality. And his actual flair, the flair to his game, is much more exciting. And uh, two, Devin Booker is a Nike player. Uh, So there technically would be two Nike players on the Suns team, something that they would probably like. I think they're having trouble selling Kevin Durant sneakers right now because he plays on a team with an Under Armour uh, player. So that's just an interesting thought. Now, would you be willing to trade or probe to see if there's a possible trade revolving around Josh Jackson? Probe? I I guess, but... We're really gra- we're grasping at straws here. Let's think about what San Antonio has already. You know, we hate the Spurs, right? Both of us, we're we're in agreement on that. Mm-hmm. Let's think about mm-hmm. what San Antonio has already provided Kawhi Leonard at this point in his career. He's 26 years old. He already has a ring, which most superstars do not have at this point in their careers. They were willing to offer him a supermax contract. They're pairing him with the greatest coach of all time. And again, as much as we both hate the organization, one of the greatest front offices of all time that has consistently put them in a position to succeed over the last 25 years if he's willing to leave all of that behind there's no reason to believe that he would seriously come to phoenix and then re-up with us uh, on another extension i mean i just don't believe that's on the table whatsoever when there are reports that Kawhi is going to leave it is because he wants to go to a bigger market than us and uh, i mean of course i would consider the deal if we could actually get some sort of verification that he would be willing to resign here but 
it's it's just not going to happen. So we have to look at other options. And that's the main problem with any Kawhi Leonard deal. It's the main problem with the deal, especially for Phoenix Suns fans. We went through this uh, last summer with Kyrie Irving. Uh, we likely would have Kyrie Irving on the team right now if there was any indication that he would have signed a extension here in Phoenix now. I'd like to end this conversation reading a tweet from Greg Esposito, Esposito, a fantastic Suns reporter and somebody who worked for the Suns in the past, and he summarized it in a great way. Uh, the biggest nightmare for Suns fans is being bad for eight years, finding collecting assets and dealing said assets for Kawhi and watching him walk to LA while the assets you gave become Spurs good. Now that would yeah, be exactly. I mean, he just said uh, it right Imagine trading, trading Josh Jackson and then Kawhi ending up on the Lakers, Josh Jackson becoming a star in San Antonio. That would be, it's an actual nightmare. I mean, that proposition has me waking up in a cold sweat. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen luckily, but no matter what Kevin says, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, it, it's an interesting report. It's an interesting report. You know, and, and Kevin O'Connor is still trying to build his uh, brand at the national level. I understand why he does things like that. But when it comes to stories about the Suns, and somebody maybe someone really him. did tell him. But folks, when it comes to the Suns, just trust uh, just trust Scott Bordeaux. He knows what he's talking about. Trust the beat, Trust the beat reporters. I mean, we are not a good enough team or a big enough market to have these big national writers really with any sort of meaningful connections about us. So just trust the local beat guys. They know what they're talking about. RIP Paul Coro. Now, just from a uh, entire NBA league perspective, where do you think? Um, I hope he goes, up? well, Boston probably has the opportunity to put together the best package. Um, I would love to see him go to New York as a, a New Yorker myself. Um, they're they're my second favorite team. Um, their front office has tortured that fan base for years, and as obnoxious as New York sports fans are, which is part of the reason I'm a Suns fan in the first place, it's uh, it would be nice to see them have some success for once. I know there are rumors about when Kyrie Irving hits free agency in another year, potentially New York is going to be a place that he looks at. Uh, but the problem is the Knicks just don't have anything to trade that's worthwhile. They've got yeah. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and then a large amount of crap. Well, so they got the pick this year. Um, yeah, they've got the pick this year. That's true, but it's it's not going to be enough. I mean, if Boston uh, makes a compelling offer, which they absolutely can, then they're going to get Kawhi. Would you rather have Josh Jackson or Jalen Brown? Oh, uh, Josh Jackson. Well, would you? Here's the more interesting question: Would you rather have uh, Josh? Would Josh Jackson look like Jalen Brown if he was coached by Brad Stevens? And would Jalen Brown look like Josh Jackson if he was coached by Jay Triano and Earl Watson? That's exactly why I brought this up. I actually think that Josh Jackson is a better prospect. He he has the same defensive capabilities, and both of them were not touted as great shooters coming into the draft in general. Uh, Josh Jackson's a better ball handler. He's a better passer. And I just think all around, he's could be a better player. I mean, he's taller as well, so he's larger, better ball handling. I think he's got more potential. Now, I don't know that other teams would look at it that way because we have proof, definitive proof, that Jalen Brown can be good in the NBA. And Josh Jackson, it's been a rocky start so far. Jalen Brown, of course, has another year on him. Uh, but it's just an interesting question because if it comes down to that and if the Spurs are actually debating that, then it's just an interesting question. Now, I don't think the Suns are willing to do it for the exact reasons that you detailed. But Jalen Brown versus Josh Jackson, I think that Josh Jackson, I would put my money on Josh Jackson being the better player in the long run. 
As would I. And, you know, Mike, we're about to get into our draft discussion, obviously. So we're going to be talking about all of these prospects. I think too often us as NBA fans forget the old fashioned uh, nature versus nurture debate and consider that players are very much products of their environments. Uh, I often wonder if the Celtics had taken Dragan Bender in the 2016 draft and he had two years of Brad Stevens development, what he would look right now. I don't think he would look anything like what he actually does. I think many of the holes in his game are sort of inherent uh, and that, you know, he would still have many of the same weaknesses, but I think he would be much further along in his development. So, I mean, that's why it's so critical. Everyone is praising uh, Igor Kokoshkov, our new head coach, before he's even uh, done any head coaching for us. And I certainly am optimistic about what he's able to do with this team. And I certainly think it's going to be better than what Watson and Triana were able to do. But at the end of the day, uh, our new coaching staff that we are assembling is going to be very important to bringing these young players along. Absolutely. And I'll make my prediction. I think I have no idea where he's going to end up, but I think that if he does get traded to the Clippers and the Spurs end up with the 12th and 13th pick in this draft, they're probably going to draft two future finals MVPs with those picks because they're the Spurs and they seem to draft really well all the time. I hate that, but you might be right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Maybe we're revisiting this in uh, in a week or two and, and we're talking about uh, how good the Spurs are going to be next year, but I'm hoping... Uh, that this could be the beginning of the end of the Spurs as we know it. Now, we had a lot to talk about, though. Uh, there's something happening this week, I think, on Thursday. Uh, oh, yeah, the draft, the most important thing. Oh, in, uh, really? Is that this Thursday? Decade. Yeah. Is that, is that is. this Thursday? <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, wow. What What are we going to do in the uh, in the second round? That's really what I'm curious about, the, uh, the 59th <laughs> pick. Let's talk about that first. Now, let's just recap where the Suns are at. Uh, following the worst season in franchise franchise history, which coincided with the 50th anniversary season now. Uh, when the season ended, the Suns interviewed every available coach uh, on the entire earth, I believe. Uh, it didn't matter what sport. They just interviewed everyone. And then eventually settled on, well, supposedly David Fisdale, and then he turned us down, and then offered a three-year contract to Kokoshkov, Igor Kokoshkov. Or as, the Death Eater, right? <laughs> yes, or as the the Godfather Gambo, as Gambo called him when I first heard the news, Kakaskov. Kakaskov. Yeah, when I first heard that, I said his Kakaskov and Robot. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> However, you pronounce his name. Now uh, that was the head coach, but they also have since hired a few assistant coaches, headlined by Joe Prunty, the uh, coach of the Bucks for part of the season this year. And Corliss Williamson, uh, Big Nasty, who Kakaskov coached when he coached or uh, was an assistant coach on the champion Detroit Pistons team, uh, which I assume they brought in to help mentor Dragon Bender and maybe help uh, give some of that nastiness to Marquise Chris in a productive way, because I, I think this team does need some nastiness, but it can be unproductive. H how do you feel about that? coaching staff yeah i mean there's not much to go on with uh talking about williamson um certainly other than that uh, his player his player reputation uh excuse me bringing that defensive reputation that big nasty uh to the team they certainly want to bring some aggressiveness and toughness out of marquis chris and dragon bender because lord knows especially with bender they need it um kakashkov has had a lot of success uh recently um, in terms of both being the Slovenian national team head coach, where they got that surprising Eurobasket 2017 uh, win 
uh, as well as being the assistant coach in a successful program uh, with the Jazz, where Quinn Snyder is the head. I think something that's going to be really interesting for Igor as we watch him coach the Suns is as it's looking more and more likely that we're going to be bringing DeAndre Ayton in, at least in his recent experience as a coach, he has not been part of any schemes that have been heavily big man reliant. Um, certainly you could argue that Rudy Gobert is the most important player or the second most important player to the Jazz's scheme in terms of what he brings on defense. Um, but neither the Jazz nor the Slovenian national team really had any sort of offensive focus coming inside. They were very perimeter-oriented teams. Uh, and so I'm definitely interested, and we're going to be talking about this a lot more over the offseason, I think, if the Suns bring in Aiton, what it's going to be like uh, watching Igor draw plays for DeAndre Aiton. Yeah, Igor was a guard, too. I think that's an important thing to mention. He was not a big man. He played himself, uh, and he was a very good guard uh, based on his reputation. I, I never got to see him play, but that's what people say about him. And he seems to be uh, billed as some sort of guard whisperer. Uh, he gets a lot of credit for uh, the development of Ricky Rubio this last season, so hopefully he can help with that now. Uh, we have Booker, of course. Uh, I assume we're going to have a point guard soon, <laughs> unless we just roll into the season with Brandon Knight, which is still possible. And if Brandon Knight is a starting point guard, someone like Kokoshkov seems like a good fit to help there. But he does have experience. I mean, the Detroit team that won a championship, they had a few bigs, obviously. And then, of course, uh, Utah has Gobert, maybe the best defensive big man the NBA has seen since uh, Dwight Howard's Defensive Player of the Year season. Uh, so it could be interesting to see if we do end up picking eight. And of course, we're going to get into that number one pick conversation in a second. There's also Joe Pronti, just real quick about Joe Pronti. He coached after Jason Kidd was fired. He coached the Milwaukee Bucks. It did not seem at any point like he was going to be extended. There was always some sort of assumption that he would be gone at the end of the season. It's always interesting to look at what the fans think when things change like this. So I was kind of creeping on Milwaukee fans on Twitter and on Reddit, and they seem to all be a big fan of Prunty as an assistant coach for whatever's that for whatever that's worth. I think that it's possible that he could be pretty valuable as an assistant coach. It's better than having uh, somebody with no experience, I, although Corliss Williamson doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's in a much lesser role. Prunty is the head assistant coach yeah their uh, opinions seem to mirror our opinions on jay triano for the most part which is you know suns fans like jay triano he was handed a uh a rough situation with Earl watson being fired three games into the season i mean it's not exactly like he had a a training camp that he could whip these players into shape so he did his best i thought he created an offense that incorporated some more off-ball movement and some more interesting schemes so that we weren't so predictable in terms of doing what we were doing in the Eric Bledsoe days, which is really just high screen pick and rolls pretty much every play. Um, but that being said, our personnel, and by that I mean just our roster, needs a lot of work uh, in terms of filling in holes, and Triano clearly wasn't the answer. So hopefully Joe Pronti, who has a pretty good reputation, will come in and uh, fix up things a little bit as an assistant. Regardless of who is coaching the team, one of the big problems has always been accountability, and it's difficult to hold players accountable if there's no good players to replace them with when they're not listening that's to a, you on the coach. That's a fantastic floor, so. point. I mean, Triano had a terrible situation with Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, and this is why, again, we're going to get into free agents next week, but why it's so important for the Suns to bring in some veteran talent for their bigs that aren't Tyson Chandler or Jared Dudley, because when you're in a situation where Dragon Bender is playing 30 minutes and takes three shots, 
and Marquise Chris plays 15 minutes and he's got four fouls and you have to choose, you know, <laughs> you're between a rock and a hard place. You have to choose one of those terrible situations of which player you want to roll with. They're both guaranteed playing time uh, and they were guaranteed playing time throughout all of last season with largely terrible results. So we need some guys who are going to come in and hold those two accountable particularly. Well, what's interesting about that is it should have been Jared Dudley, but maybe it was a sort of dictated by management by by McDonough, but Jared Dudley didn't play much at all, and he's capable of playing more. There were times that he didn't play at all in the first half. There were games that he didn't play at all, period. And, uh, you know, there were most of the season Bender was starting. And to me, if we were actually starting our best players, it definitely would have been Jared Dudley in that spot. And he could have moved the ball. He could have. Uh, he plays quarterback on defense. He really talks a lot, uh, you know. And uh, but for whatever reason, they didn't play him much. And and that was probably to tank to get this number one pick that we're going to talk about in a second. So um, now, after the coaches were hired, that's step one, very important. Maybe the first time that we have a solid uh, coaching or idea of who our coaching staff is going to be for the next few years uh, since Hornacek. So. That's a good thing. But the next thing that happened is the Suns had to have a coin flip. And the coin flip was to determine if the Suns were going to keep the 17th pick and get the 16th and 17th pick in the first round. The coin flip was, of course, with Milwaukee. And because the Suns do not win coin flips, we lost the coin flip. I think that's a good thing. It's it's sort of argued whether it's good for us to have three first-round picks or not. It's difficult to start any season with that many rookies. What do you think about that? Yeah, we don't have the roster space for arguably three rookies next season we certainly wouldn't have had the roster space for four or five if we had won that milwaukee pick so i see it as a blessing in disguise um gives us an extra asset to potentially throw into a trade or if we just want to keep the pick see how milwaukee does next year and and maybe it'll uh come over then um but yeah i'm certainly not mad about it whatsoever because if you just look at the number of guys we have in our roster right now before free agency even hits we've got like 17 guys on the roster and we're talking about being actually aggressive in free agency this year and adding maybe two to three players who are rookies uh we need to make some cuts so another pick uh, i'm fine with not having the milwaukee pick yeah same here i think that i think that pick is just as tradable now uh, being the pick next year as it was as it is currently if, if it was for this year uh, I, I think if we had it this year we would have been way more likely to move one or two maybe both of those picks than maybe we are just having the 16th pick currently uh, so having it next year I, th- I think it's possible we even trade it during this draft and we'll talk a little bit more about those options as well now the next thing that happened the most important thing that's happened in Suns history, maybe, or one of the most important things that's ever happened in Suns history, we won the lottery. And I say we like it was me. It felt like a win for me. Uh, you know, the first time ever the Suns have the number one pick. Oh, yeah. I I mean, uh, it's looking like DeAndre Ayton, maybe still Luka Doncic, and um, there are certainly several uh, opportunities of players we could take at one. But whoever the Suns take at one is going to be the most anticipated Phoenix Sun since... Charles Barkley. I mean, Amari <laughs> Stoudemire so. was great, but he was a number nine pick. Sean Marion was great, but he was a number, also a number nine pick uh, off the top of my head. And obviously Steve Nash, when he came back in free agency, was an all-star point guard, but he was like, he was an all-star point guard. He wasn't an all-star point guard, Steve Nash. So um, no one really foresaw what he was going to become. So this is, this is so huge for revitalizing the Suns fan base, which is currently so dormant. And for as a 
offseason as a whole after we've done nothing for the past two years. The highlight of our past two summers is signing Jared Dudley and Leandro Barbosa in free agency a couple years back. They, well, and drafting Josh Jackson, obviously. But these uh, this offseason as a whole is going to be so important to bringing the Suns fan base back, assuming that we can get some actual results next year. This pick will be the most hyped pick the Suns have ever taken. Now, we Devin Booker was 13. Now, Devin Booker is the most important player on the Suns currently, and there's a good chance that Devin Booker will still be the best player on the team after we pick this number one pick, but he was the 13th pick. And just by the nature of being the 13th pick, he was not as hyped. Uh, but this is the number one pick. This will be hyped. We're going to uh, be talking about it maybe for the next 50 years. Now, this is the beginning of the 50 years uh, that we have here. Hopefully, it doesn't take another 50 years to get another number one pick. But if that means we're winning, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, if that means we're the Spurs for the next 50 years, <laughs> screw the number one pick. I'll take that. Right, exactly. I almost feel bad for whoever is going to be that number one pick just because of the amount of pressure uh, being the son, you know, the son of the sons, if you will. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. But now that seems like a nice way to transition into the draft talk. Now we have a couple of things we're going to talk about, but we're going to focus on the three uh, picks that we have first, the first pick, the 16th pick and the 31st pick. So uh, there obviously we have more picks, but, or another pick in the 59, yeah, 59. I believe, but do you think that we're let's, before we even talk about the first pick, do you think that we're going to go into the season with four rookies? No. Yeah. There's no way. You want me to elaborate <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than to just make that a simple yes or no answer? No. Um, there's no way that the Suns go in with four rookies. I would heavily bet money against the Suns even going in with three rookies. And the reason why is because Ryan McDonough in recent interviews has paid all this lip service to the Suns being on kind of a fast track to contention. The fact that we're a very young team right now, but that it's time to start bringing in some veteran talent and get a little bit older, um, have some older guys to bring the younger guys along. And mm -hmm. there's no way that we can do that by continuing to add three 19-year-olds every year. So... I'm, we, there's a plethora of options, and we're going to talk about all of them over the course of this podcast, but either we could see us trying to package 16 and 31 together to move up for a second rookie, or there are all sorts of trade options if we want to either just trade 16 or 31 by themselves uh, and see what sort of veteran talent that we could bring in uh, if we trade one of those picks uh, as well. But I, I just don't see us bringing in even three, let alone four rookies next year. Yeah, I think the most likely scenario is two rookies uh, actually are on the roster next season. But I think there's even a chance that we end up with just one, the, the number one pick. Um, so let's talk about the number one pick for a minute. So there's a couple interesting things about uh, the number one pick this year in particular. Now, first of all, is this maybe the most unpredictable draft since the 2013 draft? Yeah, I was going to mention 2013. Absolutely nobody saw Anthony Bennett coming as the number one pick in that one. But ever since then, it's been more or less consensus picks. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, um, who was Ben Simmons, right? And then uh, Markel Fultz. Uh, I would say that this is probably the least consensus one and and yet at the same time there's still an overwhelming consensus pointing to deandre ayton being the number one pick at this point but hey the suns could always surprise us ryan mcdonough has done it in the past so i'm not completely willing to buy into that yet even though i do personally believe that deandre ayton is the best choice for us 
Yeah, I think that predicting the number one pick might be easier in this this year than the 2013 pick uh, because nobody saw that coming at all. But as far as one through five, I, I it can go any number of ways. There's rumors that Michael Porter Jr. could be uh, the number two pick. Sacramento's thinking about him at number two. There's there's all kinds of things that I just did not expect to come out. Gambo has talked about Trey Young potentially going as high as three, whereas other people talk about Trey Young going as low as eight or nine. So, you know, there's right. all sorts of movement around in the top six or seven. Um, so, yeah, let's just get into some of those prospects. Now, yeah, the other thing I want to talk about that's interesting about this draft is every few years, there's a draft where it seems like there's two players that everyone has to compare uh, and everyone has to talk about. There was the Greg Oden, Kevin Durant. That's probably the most famous uh, recent draft conversation where you just had to choose a side. And this year, there's been a divide in the Phoenix Suns fan base between Aiton and Doncic. Uh, it's been an interesting conversation on the internet for the last, well, actually all season, it seems like. We, we knew that we were going to be in this position to hopefully pick between those two players, and it's been an interesting uh, divide for the Suns fans. Yeah, it's been a very interesting divide and a lot of vitriol uh, online between the two sides. Um, I just think it's funny to watch mostly because I'm one of those people where maybe this will be a dumb take in five years, but I look at these two prospects and I think both of their talents are undeniable. Regardless of who the Suns pick, I think they're both going to be pretty good players. One will ultimately end up better than the other, but I'm not going to be mad if the Suns take either one. And on both sides, I see both DeAndre Ayton supporters and Luka Doncic supporters. Uh, I feel like going out of their way to discredit the other side. Like I see Luka Doncic supporters with big boards that have DeAndre Ayton as like the eighth or ninth best player in prospect in this draft because, oh, you know, DeAndre Ayton just... He's not a good fit for the modern NBA. Like, I'd rather have, like, a Jaron Jackson Jr. over a DeAndre Ayton, which is, like, a ridiculous take, in my opinion. And then on the other side, you have people who <laughs> uh, continue to historically discredit European prospects because they're afraid that every white European is going to be the next Mario Hazonia, when I think Luka Doncic has shown that uh, his production at the EuroLeague level is historically unprecedented and that he is, at the very least, going to be a very high-floor player, um, despite questions about his ceiling. That's why the conversation is actually interesting to me because it's so directly related to how you feel about the future of the NBA. The conversation no longer revolves around the players themselves. Uh, it is, do bigs matter in the modern NBA? And is it more important to have more wings in modern NBA? And I just want to talk a little bit about that before we break down the players themselves. I think it's actually an interesting conversation I think that bigs matter, and I think having a lot of wings is very important, but I think one of the main things that this playoffs, I like to think about this in terms of the playoffs because they just happen mostly, but also you kind of envision these players playing in the playoffs at some point in their careers, so you have to think about that far in the future if you're really thinking about drafting them at this point. And what this playoffs has shown us is that isolation play matters a lot more than it used to. These last few rounds of the playoffs looks a lot like the playoffs in 2003, 2004, and a lot less like it did in 2013, 2014 because of the constant switching on defense. And what's interesting about the two teams that made the finals is that neither of them really had centers that could take advantage of the switching. But even in that, JaVale McGee made an impact on the finals. And you better believe that if Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr had DeAndre Ayton, he would be playing him. 
if you switch a small guy onto DeAndre Ayton and a big guy onto Devin Booker, say they're running a pick and roll, that's an advantage on both ends. Devin Booker can blow by a big man. We saw him do it to Embiid. It was very satisfying. And DeAndre Ayton, not the best post player, and we'll talk about that in a second as well. But if you have a small guy posted up on DeAndre Ayton, that's barbecue chicken is checked. It's a, it's a guaranteed bucket. I think exactly. I think it's. I think the conversation it's gone a little too far. And like you said, people are going out of their way. They're saying that uh, you know Ayton's basketball IQ is bad just because Doncic has good basketball IQ. They're saying Doncic is not athletic at all just because Ayton is the, one of the most athletic players we've seen entering the league. It's just gone a little far. I think that Suns fans need to have a little more perspective on this and realize that no matter who we pick, and those are the two most likely, even though Doncic is falling down boards, I still think the two most likely is a inner Doncic. No matter who we pick, we're going to get someone who has potential to be a perennial all-star and at the very peak, a superstar NBA player. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about the concept of switching uh, on defense being important, and it is very important, and it's something that NBA GMs and front offices are focused on finding right now. But when people talk about the modern NBA, I think the most important concept to grasp is the concept of gravity. And when people think of gravity, I think they tend to think of guys like Steph Curry first, these insane three-point shooters that are able to pull up from 30 feet and space the floor so that guys can drive. But gravity comes in multiple different forms. And I think it's possible to have a big who is at least somewhat a non-shooter like DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and he carries his own sort of gravity on offense, even if it's not spacing the floor in the traditional way. It's the ability to be such a gifted offensive player in the post uh, that you draw double teams in that way. And you can build gravity in a number of different ways. It's always important to surround your offensive superstars with three-point shooting role players so that they can space the floor. Um, but your actual like number one, number two options can uh, can explore that gravity in multiple different ways. It's not, it doesn't just have to be like a Steph Curry, uh, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker type three-point shooting guard. You can have other types of offensively talented uh, superstars. The point of basketball is to create an offensive advantage. The best way to create an offensive advantage is to be double teamed or to force somebody to guard you that is guarding somebody else. And then if you're good at moving the ball, you take advantage of that uh, by scoring, moving the ball enough times to find the, the, the best shot within that advantage. Devin Booker's great at this, but if we had two players that can do it, that's how you kind of move up. And Aiton, let's go a little over, let's break down Aiton a little bit. Now, Aiton, I've seen him listed at seven feet. I've seen him listed at seven foot one. Uh, he is 240-ish pounds, 250-ish pounds. He looks like he weighs a little more than that, from what I can tell. Has a wingspan of seven foot five and a standing reach of almost nine feet. Uh, he's massive. He kind of looks in body like Patrick Ewing. He looks like a very old school player. Some people say he plays like an old school player. I think very... I don't think he plays like an old school player. I think he moves a lot faster and he's a lot more mobile than a lot of old school bigs. And, you know, in, in the past, we had a lot of plotting big men who like to post up, aren't very fast on switches. They didn't switch very often in the past as well. But I think he's more of a modern big than people tend to talk about him as. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you made the Patrick Ewing comparison and certainly in terms of offense, I think he does somewhat play like a Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon player back when those guys were college-level talents. I'm not saying, I'm not at all promising that he's going to be that level uh, offensively. Defensively, of course, is where the main concerns are with Aiton, talking about, like, you know, would he ever become like a Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon level 
talent defensively? Uh, I think that's much more of a question. Um, but overall, I think there's this interesting discussion uh, that's been going around the internet recently. Is the number one pick, or how often is the number one pick actually the best player in the draft? And I think that's an interesting place to go with this discussion of Aiton. Um, even if you do believe that he's the best fit for the Suns over Doncic, which I think, Mike, both of us are in agreement that he is, how confident would you be going into draft night that DeAndre Ayton, five years from now or 10 years from now, is going to be the best player uh, from this draft class? I think it's very likely. I think that maybe it's hard because I'm kind of thinking about it if I were in McDonough's shoes. And the interesting thing about McDonough is he was extended recently. He's got two more seasons on his contract, but this pick is probably the most important thing he's going to do. And if that, if it comes down to that, what you want to do is not just pick who you think it's going to be the best player, but pick who you think is a guaranteed success. You don't want to pick someone that has a chance of busting. And I think that when you look at the entire draft, top to bottom, Aiton is the only one that you can look at and say, this is all but a guarantee that he's going to be an amazing player, potentially a 2010 player for 10 to 15 years. Literally, he could potentially start in the league at a 2010 player. It is unlikely, but I don't think that the entirety of the NBA would be surprised if he immediately started scoring 20 points, especially because the Suns have not had a big man with even good hands in a long time. If he can just catch the ball underneath, that's that's an upgrade for us. Yeah, certainly. And I think Devin Booker's underrated playmaking abilities are going to do wonders for Aiton on the offensive end. I do think Doncic um, has a really high floor. So I guess it all depends on clarifying what your definition of a bust is, because I think Doncic has shown enough ability with his great playmaking, um, his decent shooting, his pretty good finishing ability, uh, that he has an all-around game where he's going to be uh, a quality starter in the NBA for a long time. I think the only questions are about his athleticism, potentially holding it back from getting to the highest of high levels. Um, but then certainly when you get down into other prospects like Jaron Jackson Jr., Mo Bamba, Marvin Bagley, um, Trey Young, there are questions about all of them that could potentially prevent them from becoming uh, all-star players. Uh, and I think Aiton and Doncic are just the, the two clearest options when you look at uh, which guys are going to be an all-star. Absolutely. Now, I don't I don't make mock drafts. I don't know anybody in the league, so I'm not trying to predict. And I don't know enough about all of the prospects to make a mock draft from top to bottom. But I do know that if I had to make one, it would be number one and number two, Aiton and Doncic. Now, just a little bit about Doncic as well. Uh, he's 6'8". Uh, some people say 6'9 at this point, but that could just be fake draft BS that happens before every draft. He's 228, uh, which is, if you really think about their listed weight that is only about 10 pounds less than uh, you know maybe 15 pounds less than eight and so he's a pretty big player I think people don't realize that about Doncic when they're watching highlights of him he's listed as a point guard in a lot of mock drafts so when you see him moving they think oh that's kind of slow but if you think about him as a potentially 6'9 230 player he moves pretty fast still and having the ability to make the kind of reads that he makes at that size around pick and rolls the ability to use the skip pass. Skip passes are difficult for players that are small. He's 6'9", potentially, and can just throw it right over players to to make passes to corner threes. I think that he would immediately be the best passer on our team uh, right away, and that would make a huge difference. I don't think that any of our players, really, maybe except for Ulyss and Devin Booker, are, are fantastic passers, and even Booker's kind of going through a, a learning experience here with passing, and he's gotten much better at it so far. Yeah, the appeal, uh, I don't want to talk about Doncic too much because I really do think um, 
the conversation about him has been overall beaten into the grounds a little bit, and it really does overwhelmingly look like we're taking Aiton. However, I will say the appeal of taking Doncic would be if you subscribe to this idea of the switch-heavy modern NBA defense, um, there's a certain inherent appeal of pairing Doncic with Booker and Jackson all together and having these guys who are, at least in theory, all switchable at one through three. Now, switchable does not mean good defense. Um, and so, again, with Doncic's uh, question about his athleticism, uh, just because he can guard multiple positions, just because he is a beefy guy who plays like a point guard on offense, doesn't actually mean he wouldn't be cooked by starting level NBA point guards, which I suspect he will be at least his rookie year. Um, but again, Doncic just has such a polished skill set overall that he can come in and be a great contributor. I think it's going to take a few years before DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic, the debate is settled. Um, because with Doncic playing in the EuroLeague right now, which is the second best league in the world, putting up the stats that he is and leading uh, Real Madrid, one of the best teams in the EuroLeague, to one of the best records overall, he's, um, he's going to contribute right away next season in a way that DeAndre Ayton might not. There is that potential that uh, Doncic looks better mm -hmm. from the get-go. Absolutely. I think that, but why? Let's talk about why. And since we both think we're going to talk about DeAndre Ayton, let's focus on the DeAndre Ayton uh, element of this. Why do you think it's possible that DeAndre Ayton may not be as productive? In college, he averaged 20, 20 points, 11 rebounds, 11 and a half rebounds, 1.6 assists, an effective field goal percentage, a fantastic effective field goal percentage of 62.5%. He had almost two blocks and he shot threes sometimes and he shot at about 34 percent but i don't think that's an accurate representation of what he can do in the nba um he only had 35 three-point attempts the entire season he shot 73 percent from the free throw line which a lot of people look at as a good indicator of how good they're going to shoot players from college are going to shoot in the nba that's a good free throw percentage for someone at his size now i have some theories why he may not be super super productive right away but do you have any idea what what you think is yeah is well the rookie wall is a real thing um i remember there was an interview where josh jackson was complaining about it sort of in the second half of the season which is funny because josh jackson exploded in the second half of the season so it certainly didn't look like it um but rookies constantly talk about when they're transitioning from college basketball how hard it is to play an 82 game season and deandre and i don't have the exact stats in front of me but he only played about 30 to 40 games last year uh, at Arizona, whereas you look at Doncic, between Liga ACB and the EuroLeague, two different leagues, um, he played close to the equivalent of a full NBA season. He hasn't really had a period of rest in a very long time either uh, because he was also playing in Eurobasket for Slovenia with Goran Dragic. So he has just been playing so much constant basketball over the last year and a half uh, that I think we're sort of seeing him maybe even slip in draft boards a little bit and uh, seeing his stat lines slipping over the past couple of months or so because the fatigue has just settled in for him. Um, but once he gets a full off season to prepare and goes into the NBA next season, uh, he is used to playing against bigger bodies than DeAndre Ayton is. And, you know, even though the EuroLeague, the talent is not comparable to the NBA, so I certainly don't want to imply that. Uh, Doncic is just used to playing against grown men and Ayton is not. And I think that combined with the fatigue is going to be an advantage for him from the start. Exactly. Now, I actually want to add on to what you just said at the end there. DeAndre Ayton, one, was power forward most of the season. He played he played next to another center at University of Arizona. So that means he was playing not only against 
college big men, but he was playing against college power forwards. Now, I don't consider this a knock against DeAndre. And I, I don't want to say that that means that he's not going to be good in the NBA, but I think that we have not seen him play against big NBA bodies yet. It's and you know, he probably did it in practice more than he did in, in NBA games. And I think that, you know, the two players that take the longest to develop in the NBA are of course the two biggest needs for the Suns right now, center and point guard, but centers do take years to develop. Now DeAndre Ayton is not like every center. He's massive. Uh, he has the body of an adult already. So it's very possible he can come in and beast against NBA bodies, but we haven't seen it yet. So we're going to have to uh, all kind of discover that together. And I think that's why a lot of these mock drafts are kind of afraid to say that he ha- has that best uh, player potential. Um, I think they're just kind of, they're right there. They're, they they want to say it, but they're scared because they haven't seen it yet. And I, I'll be honest, as a Suns fan, I'm a little scared too. I think that it's very possible he will be amazing, but there's also a possibility it could take a year or two before we see it. I'm sure Ryan McDonough is worried about that too, since he only has a couple years left on his contract. Um, but we as Suns fans just have to be patient. This is a blessing that has been given to us. And Again, regardless of who we take, I think Aiden's going to be fine. I think Doncic would be fine too, but I'm just excited to see these guys play. Absolutely. Now, we talked about potentially trading the number one pick for Kawhi Leonard. We both think that that's not really likely. Uh, But do you think that it's possible that the Suns trade the number one pick in general? Say Say the Suns decide we do want Doncic. Do you think they'll just pick Doncic one? Yeah. I think we do. It's the only way to guarantee it. Yeah, it's the only way to guarantee it. I don't see McDonough, especially because it's so recent that the false trade happened, um, that it's kind of easy to call Ryan McDonough's bluff if he tries to do that. Now, absolutely. Yeah, I think that you could just say, yeah. Do, plus, you can say, well, you don't have to reveal who you're going to pick if you're, the, if you're the Kings or if you're the Grizzlies. Uh, if Doncic slips to four... Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a kind of an interesting conversation to have. Some people think the Suns have the assets to trade for that uh, fourth pick. Would you be willing just just on a quick quick aside before we move on? Would you be willing to trade or take Chandler Parsons' contract, and he makes a lot over twenty million for the next two years, uh, twenty four and twenty five million? I think is what what it averages out to be. Would you be willing to take on that contract? Yes, I would, but I. I think it's important that we're having this discussion now, Mike, because I want to sort of quell that rumor. Not that I don't believe that Memphis might be packaging that together, but I just don't think it's particularly believable that they would actually give us fourth pick value. If the Suns, if this was like 2016 and the Suns had another pick in the eight to 10 range and we were willing to take Chandler Parsons and there was a pick we were enamored with, some sort of prospect who we could take at fourth overall, uh, then maybe this trade could happen. But if we're talking about the Suns moving up from 16 and 31 all the way to four, where you're going from the 16th pick, where we're talking about role players, to the fourth pick, where you're talking about the potential of generational superstars, all for the cost of us just taking on Chandler Parsons' contract, as bad as that is, I, if you're a Suns fan listening to this and you truly believe that we can trade up into like the four to six range, then you know feel free to tell me I'm an idiot if I end up being wrong with this. I would be ecstatic if it could somehow happen, but I just I think it's ridiculous. All right. I I think I agree with that. Although I do find it weird uh, that the Suns obviously worked out not just Aiton. You know, we didn't get to work out Don, 
Doncic because he's still currently playing as a professional in the EuroLeague, so we can't really do that. But but I think that the actual play that he's playing there is more valuable than a workout against a chair underneath the Suns gym here in Phoenix. Are you telling me that Yi Jian Lian is not the uh, the next big thing? I have my doubts. <laughs> but uh, we also worked out Jaron Jackson Jr., Marvin Bagley, and Mohamed Bamba. Uh, those are all bigs, first off. Um, there seems to be a trend in this draft, but do you think there's any chance that we take any of those players? Well, a little birdie, and I'm not going to mention any names, but did once tell me that it was God's plan on June 21st, 2018, that the Suns would take Mohamed Bamba, uh, bitty bitty Bamba. But no, in all seriousness, I don't actually believe that there's uh, any real chance that we take those guys because I don't think they're really a factor at number one, and I don't think we're going to be able to move up for them. Um, the same, by the way, I don't remember if you mentioned Trey Young in there, but I don't think Trey Young is really on the table either because I think he's going to go too early. The one top prospect who maybe could slip far enough so that the Suns could trade for another pick and take him, and I mean maybe, but this is still a super, super outside shot, is Michael Porter Jr. if he fell to like eighth, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think if we want to talk about the Suns using the 16th and the 31st pick and other other like C-list prospects and future picks in order to try to trade up. The best we're going to be able to do is try to trade into like the 9, 10, 11, 12 range. And we're not going to get any higher than that. Absolutely. And I think we should talk about some of those options now that we talk about the 16th pick. Before we move on, I do want to talk one real quick about one weird report that we heard. It, it of course, came from the one and only uh, Woj. He reported that Jaron Jackson Jr. had a monster workout for the Suns and and about teams now considering trading up to try and pick Jaron Jackson Jr. I just thought that was a little suspicious. If anything makes me feel like there is a possibility of the Suns trading that pick, it was that report. Because one, Woj reports things directly for general managers. They just feed him information and he'll tweet it out there. Two, nothing comes out of the Suns' uh, trainings or their workouts, it's very, very, they're very tight-lipped. Things that happen during the draft are always things that we don't expect. McDonald doesn't seem to tip his hat in any way. Because he's a high-level assassin, trained in stealth by Danny Ainge himself. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. We're going to have to have the McDonough conversation at some yeah. point and actually look at his entire career. But uh, I just thought that was a little weird. Now, we'll see if anything happens. I don't really think that there is. But at the very least, I think they were gauging the market uh, to see what would be out there with that weird story. Yeah, uh, I I don't really take the whole Jaron Jackson Jr. thing into account either. Um, huge outside job. Did you see, I mean, you probably saw his interview with Lindsey Smith afterwards, as long as we're talking about it. Seems like a, a funny, mm -hmm. personable kid. Um, but, you know, that doesn't... He reminds me of Chris, actually, Marquis Chris. Okay, yeah, no, that's his, interesting. His personality probably a little more fun, but his play style, the, the way that he's hyped, his athleticism, his three-point shooting, uh, potential defense, and the foul trouble he had in college, it sounds oh. a little too familiar for Suns fans uh, to, to, to try and take a chance at drafting him. Oh, yeah, I thought we were talking about his personality, but if you, if you want to talk about his play style, let's get into it. I mean, the Jaron Jackson Jr. to me feels like a guy who, again, could be a really good role player in the NBA, even if he's like... Like, I don't see a situation in which he's a complete bust because I just think he, he, 
I'm going to sound like such a cliche. He fits the modern NBA. I hate that I'm like saying that when I was just making fun of it earlier, but there is truth to that. You know, there's a real reason to buy into Jaron Jackson Jr. hype. On the other hand, again, when I was making fun of people earlier for having Triple J uh, above Aiton on their big boards, it's because, you know, here's a guy who's not a particularly gifted rebounder, even if he was playing out of position most of the year, a guy who averaged less than 10 points per game in the second half of the season. Uh, he has a three-point shot on offense, a pretty stroke, and a pretty decent post game. But other than that, his offensive game is just so raw. I mean, there's he has a very long way to go to actually turn into like a major scoring weapon or a uh, traditional superstar in the NBA. That I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is a great option if uh, you're a team that already has like a couple of really high-level scoring threats and you just want a perfect-fitting role player for your roster. But in the case of the Suns, where we only have Devin Booker and we could really use another guy like DeAndre Ayton who can score 20 points per game, I don't see Triple J ever getting to that level offensively. I agree. I think that general managers are just trying to be that GM that identifies the next Draymond Green more than anything. Yeah, he or he could be like a, a really good, you know, with Serge Ibaka's career arc. It's funny because Ibaka was this guy where in his prime, when he said he was 23, but he was probably like 32 in his OKC days, <laughs> he was shooting, uh, he was starting to shoot threes, but he wasn't like a consistent three-point shooter yet. But he was blocking like three and a half to four shots per game, this amazing switchable defender. And then towards the end of his OKC career, as he went to like the Magic and uh, now Toronto, he became a good three-point shooter, but his athleticism declined because he got older. Triple J in his best form, I think, is kind of like the best of both worlds. Like he's prime right. Serge Ibaka's defense with also late career Serge Ibaka's three-point shooting all put into one and a bit of a better offensive game in terms of creating for himself in the post. Um, that's the type of player that we're talking about, and that would be a, a perfect role player, third or fourth option on a contending team, but a superstar it is not. I agree with that. Now, Serge Ibaka, just real quick, let's go over a little bit about Serge Ibaka. Now, Serge Ibaka was chosen by OKC, essentially over James Harden. Something to remember about Serge Ibaka. Not his fault, made a ton of money while he was there. Actually, not a ton of money in the modern cap situation. I think it was something like $16, $17 million a year at the time. It wasn't as much as he would be getting if he was a free agent now. Uh, and then, of course, he played for Toronto uh, after being on Orlando for a brief period of time, I believe. Now, what's interesting about his time in Toronto is Toronto also chose Serge Ibaka over... P.J. Tucker. Now, I love P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker is amazing. I think that the two times that Serge Ibaka was chosen over other players were massive mistakes. I think that GMs essentially should get fired over signing Serge Ibaka at this point because obviously James Harden, probably the MVP, we don't know yet. We'll find out in a few weeks, and I'm sure he'll give a great speech. But Serge Ibaka was nowhere near as good as James Harden. It's interesting that they picked him. But I think as a Suns fan, somebody who watched P.J. Tucker for a long time, it was an obvious mistake that they were choosing Serge Ibaka over P.J. Tucker. Serge Ibaka may be older than he is. We don't know, but he plays like he is, regardless of what his age is. And P.J. Tucker is a dog. He fights. He gets rebounds. He lit it up from three in the playoffs. And he was maybe the best center in the Western Conference Finals at six, maybe 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, depending on who you believe. I mean, I really, Serge Ibaka, it's not his fault. But man, did people make the wrong decision when it came to Serge Ibaka's contract. If anyone, I kind of think it's Kyle Lowry's fault, actually, for having this discussion just briefly about the Raptors. Um, 
not like I like Serge. I've been a Serge Ibaka fan for a long time, and I do think it's kind of unfortunate that now, as his uh, athleticism is declining late into his career, he's kind of only now developed jumper that is um, suitable for the modern NBA. Um, but yeah, the Raptors had to choose between Tucker and Ibaka. I don't necessarily blame them for choosing Ibaka because I think in a vacuum he is a better player. When you factor in his contract, he may no longer be. Um, but they've got Kyle Lowry locked up on a massive contract, and I've had concerns and questions over Kyle Lowry's ability to really be a number two option on a contending team for a long time. Uh, that was sort of confirmed again this season when Toronto, no surprise, had great regular season success. But wow, um, what, what a terrible second round performance they had against the Cavs. That was the most fun round for me, just watching LeBron say, I can do the Jordan fadeaway too, was uh, very fun. I do feel bad for them. And it's not Serge Ibaka's fault. And obviously, uh, passing up on James Harden is a much bigger deal than passing up on P.J. Tucker. But as a Suns fan, I just want to give P.J. Tucker another shout out. He was amazing this playoffs. One of the most fun players to watch in the entire NBA. Definitely. And as, as we talk about some prospects for 16 and 31, there are a lot of guys in this draft who sort of echo back to that 3 and D type P.J. Tucker level role player. That would be good options for us to consider. Absolutely. Now, just to recap, Aiton, of course, I think we're picking Aiton. I think that you think we're picking Aiton as well. I think that's the right choice. Uh, I think you think that's the right choice. And I've looked at a ton of mock drafts and everyone else also expects us to A ton of mock drafts, you say? Oh, I get it. Yeah, I suck. (laughs) Sorry. Let's move on. All right. So next... The 16th pick. Now, the Suns have had a lot of players in to work out for the 16th pick. Uh, Zaire Smith, Troy Brown, Josh Okogie. There's a lot of players that we may or may not take with the 16th pick. Now, what are your impressions? What do you think the Suns... Do you think we're going to pick a a rookie, first of all, with that 16th pick, or do you think that we trade that pick? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that either the 16th or the 31st pick, we're going to end up trading somehow and there's a couple of different ways that we could do it either we package them together to try to move up like we talked about briefly i don't think we'd be able to move up more than a few spots so we'd have to really be enamored with a prospect in the late lottery in order to do that like even if i think you added dragon bender marquise chris or the milwaukee pick next year on top of 16 and 31 even then i don't think we're actually going to be able to trade into uh, number seven, eight, or nine in this draft. I think, like, actually, I'm pretty sure uh, on Reddit and Twitter that I've seen that we're that's going to get us the second pick. That I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure that's going to get us the second pick. And then you know, all we have to do is trade uh, the 59th pick uh, and that Miami 2021 pick, and we can get another top five pick. And then you know, there you go. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, you would have to be really enamored with a prospect like one of the Bridges or um, Kevin Knox or Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And by the way, I love Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So like if we had an opportunity to trade 16 and 31 for, say, one of the Clippers picks, number 12 or 13, um, move up a few spots and take a point guard like that, uh, I would personally love that. But sort of operating under the assumption that you know, maybe we're not actually going to package those picks together. There's a couple of things we could do. We could stay pat and take a prospect at 16 and then trade 31 for veteran help, or we could do vice versa. And I think there's certainly precedent for uh, Ryan McDonough to take our second round picks and trade it for some veteran bench depth in the past. In 2015, we traded a pick in the mid 40s for John Luer, who was one year rental. 
uh, and it turned out he was a one-year rental on a terrible tanking team. But given that, I think John Lohr was actually a positive player on the court that season, did a great job. He traded a heavily protected second rounder this past year that never even conveyed just to get Troy Daniels, who again, Troy Daniels is a player with problems, um, but again, I think did a pretty good job, all things considered. And those are the types of players you can get for like a 40th, 50th, 58th type of pick. So it could be that if you traded the 31st pick just straight up for some sort of uh, veteran help to come in on our bench that we could get a a somewhat decent player uh, in that position. Yeah, and it's difficult to actually predict what kind of player that would be. Of course, we can throw out names. A lot of Suns fans like to talk about Patrick Beverly or Terry Rozier. Those are always a possibility. I think maybe the 16th pick could get maybe one of those players. I think obviously if you make a trade with Boston, you're kind of dealing with the devil. You never know. Generally, people teams tend to lose against that, so who knows. But uh, it's definitely possible. Yeah, so let's sort of have this conversation, I think, first of the types of trade value that you can get out of like the 16th pick you know those terry rogier type players if you do that and then you know after we talk about maybe our trade options there we can talk about the actual prospects at 16 and 31 like if the suns don't decide to trade those picks for veteran help who are the actual prospects we could be looking at but since you bring up terry rogier certainly he's a guy that's been linked to uh, us in the past um but also just if the suns decide to go this route of trading just the 16th pick straight up to get whatever sort of veteran talent. I think a lot of Suns fans have the wrong idea of the type of value that that pick carries. And so to demonstrate that specifically, I looked at the past 10 drafts uh, just to see what sort of trades have happened in the past where someone trades that type of pick straight up. Um, And so here are some of the recent trades that have happened. In 2011, this was a very famous one, the Pacers swapped the 15th pick where they took Kawhi Leonard for the Spurs and also the 42nd pick for George Hill. Uh, You look at a guy like George Hill at the time in 2011, he just came off his third season for San Antonio as a sixth man. He was averaging about 12 points per game. He still had one year of rookie contract control left. Um, He was a decent player, you know, with, with some sort of ceiling, but not necessarily like a superstar ceiling. You look at another trade that went down in 2010, or last thing to say about that trade in 2011, obviously in hindsight, terrible trade for the Pacers because George Hill is a a solid player, but they gave away Kawhi Leonard. Now, you go back a year earlier, 2010, Miniswap, the 16th overall pick, which ended up being Luke Babbitt for Martell Webster. Uh, For those who don't remember the glorious Martell Webster, at the time, he was this 23-year-old fringe starter, averaging nine points per game. He still had two years at about $5 million per year left on his contract. So again, we're talking about a player who's a quote-unquote veteran, but not really. It's more like a young player who a franchise hasn't quite given up on, but like you know they're not going to be terrible when you're trading for them. You also don't think they necessarily have a super high ceiling. And in that trade, you know, if you trade Kawhi Leonard for that type of player, for a George Hill type player, that looks terrible in hindsight. If you trade Luke Babbitt for Martel Webster, you're actually probably coming ahead with a guy like Martel Webster, who's a better role player for you, as opposed to waiting a couple years for Luke Babbitt to develop into nothing. And then one last one that I want to give an example of, this was actually in 2015. The Blazers swapped the 23rd pick, which was Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Steve Blake for the 41st overall pick, which was uh, Pat Connaughton and Mason Plumley. And Plumley at the time was coming off his second season. He was already a fringe starter, averaging nine points, six rebounds per game. And he still had two years of control left because he was on this four-year rookie contract. The overall point, since I just threw a lot of names out that I want to make here, is that 
if the Suns are going to explore this option of trading the 16th pick just for straight-up veteran help, these are the types of players that history tells us you can target. These types of George Hill, Martel Webster, Mason Plumley, these young guys where their ceiling is kind of appealing, they can maybe be a fringe starter for you, but you're not going to get a great player uh, for this. Still, if you're looking at what our options are at 16 and you don't want to wait for any of these guys to develop and you just want some talent right now and you want a guy who you know can come in and contribute, a George Hill, a Mason Plumley, a Martel Webster, these could be great types of role players to add to our bench. So that's something worthwhile to consider. Now, what kind of player? Well, what's funny about that that you bring up? First of all, great work. That was a lot of really good information. It helps uh, really put some context onto this draft one of the most unpredictable drafts as we talked about. But what's funny is we could probably trade this 16th pick for George Hill right now. Yeah. <laughs> except that he's except that he's making 20 plus million dollars and it would be a terrible trade, but it's just funny that he's still technically valued at that same pick. Um but Martel Webster and Terry Rozier is kind of an interesting comparison. I just don't think the Celtics would do that. I think they know they have uh some value there just because he performed in the playoffs. They're probably really mad that he went over 10 in their closeout game. But uh, regardless, I think he's good. He's 24. Uh, it could be an interesting idea, but so there's a possibility of trades. Now we know kind of the ideas. It's difficult to predict. There will be uh, some information about who will be on the trade block coming out probably over the next few days, or maybe we have no idea and something completely unexpected will happen. I think that tends to be the more likely thing with the Suns for, for whatever reason. But there's a few picks, or there's a few players that I want to talk about with that 16th pick. Now, let's talk about who mock drafts have us taking. First of all, there's Shy, Gilgis Alexander. Um, he's 6'6", 180, uh, insanely long arms, almost a seven-foot wingspan and a standing reach of 8'8". Eight eight. He's a point guard. Yeah, that is one long boy, as they say. Yeah, and and we know that McDonough likes big guards. He likes big point guards, and, and that makes sense because if a point guard has to get switched uh, on a defensive scheme, it's good to have a 6'6 six six guard, especially if they can shoot. And he had a pretty, he showed a pretty good shot. Uh, in the NBA. There's also Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday was actually worked out multiple times uh, by the Suns. You can see that we're probably going to get a center with the first pick. So we're looking at point guards with the 16th pick. Aaron Holiday, UCLA. He's a point guard as well. He's a lot smaller. He's just over six feet, 187. But he's pretty good too. Has a decent yeah, wingspan. He, he... Yeah, he's pretty good. But I hate Aaron Holiday for the Suns. I guess I'll just come out and say that right now. Um, my opinion on this whole matter is that I would love for Shea Gilgis Alexander to drop to us at 16 or even to trade up for him um, if we somehow could. And then if we still have the 31st pick after that, all things considered, then I would be looking at wings, um, shooting guard, small forward type players, because I think there are a lot of good ones in that range. Um, or excuse me. Yeah, no, sorry, that's what I meant. Um, shooting guard, small forward type players. Um, but I'm a little worried at 16 about us having worked out Aaron Holiday twice because I'm not personally big on Aaron Holiday's games. There are a lot of concerns, not only over his lack of size, even though he does have pretty good measurables when it comes to wingspan, but in terms of his decision-making as a point guard at UCLA. Uh, and so I think there are tons of solid point guard prospects who have demonstrated uh, good abilities with their basketball IQ that we could take in the 25 to 35 range at 31 who are going to be around there. Uh, there's still going to be a couple, 
couple of guys left. Uh, and I think I would rather have one of those guys. We'll talk about them in a minute over Aaron holiday at 16 and then go with a wing at 16, because there are certainly a few who have been linked to us in that range. Troy Brown, Lonnie Walker, sort of at the top ends of the range, Dante DiVincenzo, and uh, Zaire Smith also is sort of in the bottom. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about. Well, let's actually talk about Zaire Smith since you brought him up. Um, uh, he's also uh, available, probably going to be available at that range. The Ringer has him going 14th. Uh, you know, CBS Sports has the Suns taking him. Uh, Sports Illustrated has the Suns taking him. But he's a small forward. Now, now I still think it's possible because he's he's six four, so he could take technically play a guard position as well but he's listed at small forward and i just think we kind of have a lot of small forwards on the team at the time and and they're going to eat a lot of the minutes because they're both really young Uh, so i think it's unlikely that uh, zaire smith would be the player but one thing that you can say with all three of these players first of all that we're talking about so far with shy with zaire and with aaron holidays they all shoot 40 plus percent from three but shy is six six and a defender who shoots 40 plus percent from three and can still handle the ball. And I think when you think about building a team around Devin Booker, which is what you should be thinking about with the 16th pick, it's just difficult to think any other way uh, than shy. Uh, How do you feel about that? Yeah. Well, I would say we have to temper our expectations a little bit um, with both Che and Zaire, because both of these guys, it's really limited volume uh, in terms of their three point shot. Both of them, I think only took about one three per game. Um, Shane may have taken a little more. Again, little I don't have the stats yeah. quite in front of me. He took 57 threes, and I think they they have like 30-something games per season. Yeah, so, I clearly don't so watch a limited. ton of college ball. Both of them shot over 40%, but on very limited volume. Um, with Shea, I think there's huge appeal of having a guy like Shea, um, Gilgis Alexander, and then taking a wing at three. One of the guys with a really long uh, wingspan. Um, at th- sorry, not at three, at 31, I mean, uh, a guy like Josh Akogi, um, or maybe Melvin Frazier, uh, someone like that who we can slide in at the three when we pick 31st, along with Shea at 16, if he fell to us, which again is a long shot. And then you have th- uh, two guys with seven foot wingspans at the one and three spot around Devin Booker. Talk about a switchable defense. That is an insanely switchable defense. Um, I love that team. That sounds like operating- a fun team to watch operating under the assumption sort of that Shea's probably going to be off the board, then I think Zaire, we were just talking about P.J. Tucker, and I think Zaire, because he's so young, has a lot of potential. But even if he even if he didn't live up to his potential, there's a lot of P.J. Tucker in his game in the sense that mm-hmm. he's uh, sort of a small guy but can play the four, uh, even mm-hmm. if he's a, a little undersized and mo- played a lot of four in college. Um, maybe doesn't have star potential in terms of his ability to create for himself and take over a game offensively. But if we've got Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, then we don't need him to. We can just have him continue to develop that shot in the corner um, and just use his great offensive and defensive instincts. And that's where I think uh, Zaire Smith is the best because he knows what's best for the team. He's a really effective ball screener on offense and uh, has the athleticism to guard multiple positions on defense. And Zaire also has the highest uh, three-point percentage of the three players. Now he didn't; he just took over one three per game, but he shot forty-five percent on those attempts. Now he's a seventy-one percent free throw shooter, so we'll see how it translates. But it's still an interesting uh, thought. Now I do have what could be some bad news for you, and I think the same way out of those three players that I think are the most likely that we're considering until we talk about one other player in just a second. But out of those three. 
the great Scott Bordeaux uh, predicted that we choose Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday is the only player that we know about that has worked out multiple times for the Suns. He's the only player we brought in twice. Um, so I don't know. Scott knows maybe the most of, about the team out of any of those players. And if he's correct, then that's who we're taking. And uh, Shay. Oh, also, I just want to point out, sorry if I mispronounce names. Uh, <laughs> either one of us, actually. Sorry if we mispronounce names. It's difficult to to know each of these players. There's there's a lot of players to think about. And I know that I've called him Shy more than once now. So hopefully I can remember to call him Shay. Uh, Gilgis Alexander. He's my favorite. Other people have him going higher than 16th. And I think that's the real reason that a lot of people don't expect us to take him. Uh, but if we do take Shea, I think that is the most likely scenario that we try and move up in the draft. And if we just try and move up a couple spots, maybe we can take that 59th pick, package it with the 16th pick and move up uh, one or two spots to try and take Shea if he ends up going higher. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's very likely he can go Unfortunately, high. 59th pick, I really don't think has any, I mean, you never know, but I don't think it has any value. Yeah. I think potentially if the Clippers decided they wanted to fast track their rebuild a little bit, and would trade us, say, 13 for 16 and 31, that would definitely be possible. But moving up any higher than 12 or 13 might take, like, 16 plus 31 plus another asset. And at that point, you really have to consider, I mean, maybe we should just take whoever's available to us at 16 and deal with it. Again, I really like the length of a guy like Shea, and I'm really not enamored with Aaron Holiday. Um, I'd rather take a point guard at 31, but, you know... We'll, we'll see what happens. And we'll we'll still see also about just trading one of these picks uh, straight up for a veteran, as we were talking about about 10 minutes ago. I mean, that could absolutely happen. So, Yeah, I think, I think so as well. But there's one more player I want to talk about. The Godfather himself. He reported on a secret interview that the Suns had with Dante DiVincenzo. That's Gambo's uh, drop there. Uh, John Gambadoro, he said there was Dante, his exact tweet, Dante DiVincenzo is in Phoenix for an interview with the Suns. This was on June 14th. This was not reported on. Supposedly, this was an interview that was not supposed to be made public. And uh, Dante DiVincenzo, I love, first of all, he's 6'6". He's a shooter. He's versatile. As we know, McDonough loves versatility. Uh, He can handle the ball at his size. He's not really a point guard. He's more of a shooting guard. Makes him a little redundant with Devin Booker, but he's big. He can do all things fairly well. Um, maybe maybe a little bit of a minus defender, but I think he's definitely got the body to be capable of being a, a passable defender. I find it interesting that, one, this was not supposed to be reported on, and two, a lot of Suns reporters are thinking that this is where we go with the 16th pick. Now, a lot of mock drafts have Dante at around 30, uh, 31, maybe somewhere yeah, that we or can like, potentially or, get. Or 25 or 20 even, but I haven't seen many putting them all, excuse me, all the way up at 16. If we took Dante with the 16th pick, would you be happy? I wouldn't mind. Um, here's the thing. I think there is. Oh, you have to look at the fact that uh, DiVincenzo wasn't considered a first-round prospect until two things happened. He scored 31 points off the bench in a great championship performance and then impressed everyone with his hops at the Combine. Now, those are two good reasons to move up in the draft, but I do think there's always reason to uh, be a little wary of a guy that skyrockets that fast off a small sample size. Uh, and I think the other big worry, of course, is with his um, fit with Booker. I think you sort of either have to, because Devin Booker next year is going to be playing like 36 minutes a game. He's a, he's our superstar player. Mm-hmm. So either you got to commit to starting to slide Booker over to point guard 
Um, or you're going to bury DiVincenzo deep on your bench. Like he's not going to be getting more than 10 or 15 minutes per game. There's not really going to be much room for him to, uh, to blossom at least in his rookie year, because there's also no room for him at small forward between Josh Jackson and TJ Warren. And he's not a playmaker, but all that being said, he has great offensive potential. He's a shooter. Like you said, not the purest stroke out of any of the prospects that we could consider, but he has a good all around offensive game and a potential to be a really talented offensive player, maybe even a borderline star. Yes, and I should say he's actually listed at six four and a half. His wingspan is six six. We know that McDonough has a relationship with Jay Wright. Jay Wright coached Dante DiVincenzo. It's it's possible he's got the inside track on how good Dante actually is. But I think that because we are interested in Dante, I think there is a chance, ironically or or coincidentally, that we might trade down with the sixteenth pick. Maybe we maybe we look to move down. I know that the yep. Lakers are looking to move up maybe we can uh, move down uh, to to a pick more in the range of picking Dante. i'm glad uh, i don't know what i'm really is. glad you mentioned that because everyone hates the lakers and no one wants the idea of like helping the lakers move up and potentially taking the next Kawhi or Giannis at 16th or whatever um but you know if it's going to be like aaron holiday at 16 then and the mm-hmm. lakers are offering us the 25th pick and some other intriguing asset um there's a lot of prospects in the 15 to 30 range. Like I feel like there's a big drop off in terms of the talent available in this draft after the top 15 or so. And there's a lot of intriguing guys that we could potentially take if we, even if we moved all the way down to 25 or if we moved down to around 20, 21, 22 as well. I have a, I have a pitch for you. How about the Lakers? Okay. Let's, let's actually look at what the Lakers have. First of all, the Lakers are picking 25th for the record. By all indications, most mock drafts expect Dante DiVincenzo to be available at 25. The Lakers are reportedly interested in interested in Zaire Smith. Now, would you do 16 and 31 for the 25th pick and Josh Hart? Probably not. Now, Josh Hart is a 20, 23-year-old, played pretty well for the Lakers. He's a guard. Um, he, he's got potential. Maybe the type of potential that we're looking at around that 16. I would pick. say I'd be willing to bet on Zaire Smith being a good enough investment that I would go for no. Um, and I would rather just take Zaire at 16 myself, personally. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, obviously if Shea is there at 16, I say snatch him. If Troy Brown, Lonnie Walker, Zaire Smith are available at 16, be totally willing to go for those guys, although I do have some reservations about Troy Brown. Um, but if the best options we have are Aaron Holiday or maybe DiVincenzo, that's just when I start to get a little bit shaky about, eh, are we really like, are we are we really going to do this? Is this really our best option? Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's just the trade I just made up now on the spot. Sorry to put you on the spot there, but no, uh, no, keep putting me on the spot. All I good. think if you if, if you think about it as Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart for Zaire Smith, um, it, it, it's it's kind of an interesting thought um there what's more valuable those two players or zaire smith uh i'm not sure i would do it either just the thought just kind of looking at the lakers uh, assets i know that lakers fans will hear me if they do hear me make that trade recommendation they're going to roast me and probably think that josh hart is the next steve nash or something like that well yeah just like we think dragon bender and marquis chris are still going to be you know something i refuse to give up he's still I'm, developing i'm not get- <laughs> Guys, I'm still developing. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's there's hope for them. So we're that's 
that's for a, another week's conversation. Something I want to bring up with you, because I think this is really interesting, and you can always ask this question to anyone who considers themselves like a, a draft scout, and it will reveal something about how they think. Let's talk about shooting. With the Suns right now, we are an absolutely terrible three-point shooting team. We suck. Our point guards and small forwards combined shot like 30% from three last year. It was disgusting. And if I have to watch more of that next season, well, I mean, we're just going to lose a lot of games, let's face it, in today's NBA. That being said, there's this common mindset that I do think I agree with, which is when you're evaluating prospects, shooting, like if you take a guy who has really good athleticism and really good instincts on the court, he just knows where to be on defense, um, or if he has the athleticism, can jump out of the gym, can defend multiple positions, even if he doesn't quite have that consistent shot yet he'll be able to add it in the future because teaching a kid to shoot is a lot easier than teaching a kid to be athletic which is impossible or teaching a kid to improve his instincts which a lot of times is just uh not worth it so is it possible because there are a lot of prospects in this draft that the suns could potentially take at 16 and 31 we already talked about troy brown sire smith's shot is a work in progress shay his shot is also frankly a work in progress and then there are a lot of prospects that we could potentially be considering at 31 who are not quite there with the shooting yet uh I, a guy like um melvin frazier is still a work in progress with his shot um, a Kogi we were talking about earlier sort of has uh, to work on his shot as well. De'Anthony Melton has a terrible shot as of now. So when talking about these guys, do you think it's possible that the Suns will just draft a bunch of terrible shooters in this draft and then just hope that their high potential, that they're going to figure it out eventually and that they're going to become really high ceiling players because of it? Or would you just go for the safe bet and look at players like DiVincenzo, Lonnie Walker, uh, who are just, or Aaron Holiday for that matter, who are just good shooters from the get-go, you know they can space the floor from day one. It's difficult to predict what we will do, but I can tell you what I want, and I want shooters. <laughs> it's it's hard not to want shooters watching this team play. There's just not a lot of it. Um, I think that a good measure of a player is not shooting itself. I think that if you look at how good of a, pl a player is at passing, I think that's a good measure of their overall uh, basketball IQ and a player that's just really good at passing. I have more faith in them sort of putting the rest of the game together. Uh, that's just sort of my personal preference. Maybe it just comes from watching Steve Nash play for so long, uh, but it's difficult to teach somebody a good feel for the game and passing is a good measure of feel for the game. Um, so I'm not saying that I would draft based on uh, shooting alone, but I, I do hope that we do get a good shooter, and whether that means trading for one or, or drafting one, it could be interesting. I, I don't know who the best shooter at the 16th pick that we talked about is so far. I guess that's that depends on how you feel because all of the players we talked about don't have a lot of attempts. It depends. DiVincenzo could be a good shooter. Lonnie Walker, if he's there, I'd be willing to put money on him being the best shooter. And it's kind of funny because he wasn't that efficient. I think at about 34, 35% in college, but he has a really pure stroke. Reminds me of Booker in that way, um, where I just, I do think he's going to get up there. Aaron Holiday is a really proven three-point shooter. He shot 43% from three and 83% from the free throw line last season. Undeniably, he's going to be a guy who can space the floor. Um, but we're also talking about a point guard who averaged four turnovers per game. So I think the question's right. there in his fit with Booker and if he's going to be like a Brandon Knight type of uh, bad decision-making point guard, those questions speak for themselves. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. Just, just kind of funny. Yeah, go ahead. 
the Aaron Holiday comp. One of the Aaron Holiday comps on uh, the Ringers website is uh, Brandon Knight. I just thought that was kind of funny. And his measurements are actually kind of similar to Eric Bledsoe. And if we talk about four turnovers a game, then that comparison gets even a little bit stronger. Um, you know, he actually, you're right. He absolutely is the best shooter out of the players we talked about. He had the most attempts by far and was shooting 43%. But it's difficult for me to want a small guard next to Booker. And I'm not saying that the 16th pick means that we're drafting our future starting point guard, but it would be nice if we did <laughs> get a future starting point guard with that pick. And uh, it's difficult for me to picture that future starting point guard being six feet, not not over six one. Yeah, and then if we're if we're gonna take a point guard, I want to mention two guys who one of which or three guys actually one of which I think will definitely still be available at thirty one. Um, all of these guys I would rather take at thirty one over taking Aaron Holiday at sixteen, and that's Jalen Brunson, Javon Carter, and Shake Milton. Uh, with Brunson. And actually with Brunson and Carter, these are two of the guys who they're both like 6'2", and they both have 6'4 wingspans. Holiday, you're at least talking about a guy who has a 6'7.5-inch wingspan, even if he's short. Whereas these other two guys, these are one-position defenders. They're point guard defenders. They're not going to be switching like we talk about with uh, you know Shea, uh, for instance. So that already is a strike against them. On the other hand... Brunson is just a, a polished offensive player, a good shooter, a good floor general. Reminds me a little bit of what people said about Tyler Eulis, who also had size questions coming into the league, but uh, is definitely a polished floor general, much more so than Aaron Holiday when it comes to taking care of the ball, um, who can space the floor because he's also a good shooter. Javon Carter is not as much uh, of an offensive player, but is a defensive force, a guy who averaged three steals a game and is just really, really pesky when it comes to defense. Terrible finisher on offense, but another good shooter, so another guy who can space the floor next to Booker. Uh, and then I think when you get into Shake Milton as well, he's a guy who is a uh, spot-up option as well um, and has a crazy 7-1 wingspan. So as opposed to these other two guys who are really tiny, Milton, it's sort of the opposite. You get another switchable type of player. But with all three of these players, I think at the end of the day, it's about talking about guys where, especially in the case of Brunson and Carter, even if they don't have the same measurements as a guy like Aaron Holiday, uh, which I think makes Holiday appealing, maybe it's just best to go with, uh, you know, with the guys who actually demonstrated a better resume of what they were actually able to contribute on the college level. And I recognize that sometimes that leads to you drafting a player like Tyler Ulis, but other times I think there have been some very successful backup point guards uh, who have been taken. I mean, you look at a guy like Fred Van Vliet, of the Toronto Raptors who was undrafted and it's because he's this really short guy with a bad wingspan. But we're going to talk about in our free agency episode next week. Um, Fred Van Vliet is one of the free agents in this class that I am highest on if we're still hunting for point guard help because he is just a great shooter, a really composed floor general who helped the Raptors to be the best bench or at least one of the best benches uh, in the NBA. So if Aaron Holiday is not going to be a starting level point guard, which I don't necessarily see him as, then I would almost rather take just one of these guys at 31 who had a good college career, maybe are only one position defenders, but are going to be good fits with Booker because they know their role, they know how to play off ball and can space the floor. And, you know, they're just composed guys. I, I really like that take. Now, I do want to talk briefly about the 31 pick because I actually have more to talk about with the 16th pick, and that's the possibility of moving up. And if we do, why would we or where would we look to move to? 
but real quickly, what do you think? I think the most likely scenario, as I talked about, is we go into the season with two rookies. I think that it's unlikely that we're going to take all three and maybe even four picks and go into the season with four rookies. That means that the likelihood of us moving up is there or maybe even trading the pick for a future asset next year or, or anything like that. But say we do pick uh, a player with that 31st pick, who do you think is the most likely? Yeah, well, I'm hoping pick? I mentioned earlier a guy like Kogi is there. He's a uh, 6'4 with a 7-foot wingspan, uh, ranked 92nd percentile in catch-and-shoot situations uh, last year. Uh, so, you know, he's a good shooter, 38% from three, 82% from the free-throw line. The things about him is you're getting two things. guy who can't create for himself, he's a terrible finisher, and a guy who's not a playmaker um, and I think actually committed more turnovers than he got assists. However, once we start to get into this area of 31, I think, like, you don't necessarily need... If we're drafting DeAndre Ayton and we've already got Devin Booker and Josh Jackson, like, we shot for the stars. We've got these guys that we're banking on becoming high-level star players. Houston, I think, is a really interesting situation of just proving to us this year that you can have only a couple of actual superstar players, but then just surround them with the right role players and you're still going to be a contending team. I mean, that team was a Chris Paul injury away from beating the absolutely amazing greatest team of all time, Golden State Warriors. So once we get into discussions about who we're taking 31st overall, guy like that, good defender, can shoot, even if he can't do much else, a 3 and D player, you know, those are the types of players that we're going to need on our roster that we currently don't have. They're the most valuable players that are undervalued, if you will. I, they're not paid a lot of money, but they're always important to winning teams. And getting them on a contract that uh, does not necessarily pay them a lot of money, that's very valuable. And I agree with you, Okogi is the guy that I would pick as well. And it's not just me. Actually, most of the mock drafts also have the Suns taking him. It's difficult for a mock draft, of course, to predict a trade. But I think the mo- I, I personally think the most likely scenario is a trade. Now, say we were to package 31 and 16, or maybe more assets, there are some options. Now, we have to talk about Trey Young. Um, first off, Trey Young did not come into the Suns for a draft workout. This, of course, was reported by Gambadoro, the godfather. Uh, he didn't come in to work out for us at all, and, and supposedly the Suns were trying to get him in there, and, and, and he didn't. Now, Trey Young may be one of the most hotly debated players. Of course, a great three-point shooter, depending on what month of the season you're watching. But he took 327 threes. He took a massive amount and still shot 36%. And halfway through the season, he was basically doubled on every possession. They were trapping him constantly. His turnovers went up. His three-point percentage went down. And of course, he was probably exhausted running away from double teams constantly. I think in in an NBA system with a player like Devin Booker or just any team that he ends up on, I don't think that they're going to trap him like that. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it could be interesting to see. How do you feel about Trey Young? Yeah, I like Trey Young. Um, I I still think it's a long shot that we'd be able to get him. However, it's certainly worth exploring. And uh I've heard a lot about how if the Suns got Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, that's a formula for being a team that scores 120 points per game, gives up 130. I I don't think that's quite true. I mean, sure, we would be going all in on this idea of being just an offensively talented team full of offensive superstars. I think we'd be a good team at the minimum. Um, the question is, can you be a contending team with a backcourt where Trey Young, we're talking about the guy with the worst wingspan out of any prospect mm-hmm. in the draft. I believe he has a 6'3 wingspan. So teams are going to switch right. on. Teams are going to attack Trey Young every single possession in the playoffs, and I mean every single possession. 
on nights when his three-point shot is off, that makes him, I don't want to say useless, but a lot less valuable on the court. So, you know, those are the things to consider with Trey Young. All that being said, I do think he has the best vision of any prospect in the draft outside of potentially Luka Doncic. And, you know, his offensive talent is just undeniable. So it might be worth um, McDonough doing a little probing regardless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think if we trade up and really push the chips into the center of the table, uh, that that should be the guy. The other option is Michael Porter Jr. Uh, here's what I'd say about Trey Young before we move to MPJ. But Trey Young is small as well. Now I talked about it's difficult to picture a team with a small point guard next to Devin Booker. But if that small point guard is really good at shooting three points, uh, three point shots off the dribble, then that makes up for the size. Uh, you know, Steph Curry. Damian Lillard, basically all the best point guards in the NBA. They're very good at shooting three-pointers off the dribble. It's a very important skill nowadays, and it should have always been, but we didn't shoot as many threes in the past. But he also won me over when he said Steve Nash was his favorite player, um, and he does have that kind of vision. So uh, I would love, to me, a draft of Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton is an absolute home run and incredibly unlikely but it would be an absolute home run. And if honestly, the way I look at it right now too, is if you don't give up, obviously you're not going to give up Devin Booker. And if you don't give up Josh Jackson and you get DeAndre Ayton and Trey Young, if you have to put Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, or some of our other assets, future picks on the table to potentially get Trey Young, it's difficult for me to say that that would be a bad trade. I just think he's a great player and the likelihood of him being a good fit on this team is higher than even on other teams just because we would have a center down low and a uh, shooting guard in Devin Booker that would make it impossible to double Trey Young off of. So I think he would be a good fit. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting uh, if that were to play out in terms of what we then do in free agency and surrounding those guys with role players that can defend. Because if you do that and you draft those guys, you're actually, we would be set at offense uh but we would need to figure out our defense fast um and so i would just be really interested in in what where we would go from there yeah it would be an interesting fit because we of course we have josh jackson josh jackson will likely be the best defender on our team uh we'll talk about free agents but yeah, we'll talk about free agents later i have some ideas that could potentially trevor reza that's the one that i was gonna i don't want to bury the lead here if trevor reese is available which he is going to be a free agent he supposedly wants 50 to 60 million it doesn't make sense for a lot of teams to pay him 50 to 60 million but maybe if the suns have trey young devin booker josh jackson deandre ayton our hole is at power forward and having a maybe one of the best three and d players to fill that hole i mean could there be a better fit than that uh in this hypothetical situation with trey young maybe not yeah exactly in a hypothetical situation where we don't get Trey Young, which I think is the other 99% of situations, uh, then I think there are a lot of other better free agent fits than Trevor Reza, especially if he's looking for that much money. Um, but, Sam, we're podcasters now. We deal in hypotheticals. It's our job now. Yeah, okay. I got you. <laughs> Let, let's keep it going. The other option, Colin Sexton, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I think these are all very unlikely, uh, but you know, Miles Bridges... Mikhail Bridges, th- these are all options that we could potentially move up to get. Do you see that happening at all? Uh, no, but I mean, if we could move up to get a guy like Mikhail Bridges, I would definitely go for it. He's going to be a impact player, a good contributor, can play both ends from day one because of his uh, experience. 
And yeah, I mean, I would certainly go for one of the bridges over a guy like Kevin Knox. I wouldn't want to move up for Kevin Knox. Michael Porter Jr. is a really interesting situation, except for the fact that I just don't actually trust that he's going to fall far enough for us to be in position to go and get him. Uh, absolutely. I completely agree. I think there's some interesting teams that are picking. You know, the Knicks are at nine, uh, the Cavs at eight, the Bulls at seven. If anything, I would say the Bulls at seven and the Knicks at nine. I think that Michael Porter Jr. and Trey Young are not getting past those two picks. They're, they're, they're teams that are desperate for stars and they want to take a big swing. And I think those are the biggest swings you can take in that range it's unlikely that they trade them I, I think that those are the most likely scenarios for them Mikhail Bridges is interesting I think we were just talking about Trevor Ariza he's kind of a young Trevor Ariza to be honest uh, he could fit that mold exactly and that player regardless of if you have Trey Young kind of fits on every team a player like Mikhail Bridges he's six seven seven two wingspan shoots threes plays defense I mean that's exactly what you want and he's a really good three-point shooter not just a regular three-point shooter at that size to shoot 43 and a half percent on 239 attempts that's really impressive yeah that's that's no that's no store brand not no no generic brand three-point shooter that's a real three-point shooter um it's occurring to me now that we haven't mentioned guys like Wendell Carter and Robert Williams but I think if we're in agreement that DeAndre Ayton is the guy then we also probably agree that you can't realistically pair DeAndre Ayton with either one of those two. So trading up for right. them doesn't really seem to be a feasible option. I really like Wendell Carter. Uh, I think that he's a fantastic player and he'll be really good in the NBA. If we some if somehow don't take... The only real option at, that is not a center for that number one pick is Doncic. So if we take Doncic, I think that's a possibility. Doncic and Williams, uh, you know, or Doncic and Carter, if we could move up. That would be a great draft. I think a lot of people would just be so pissed about us not taking Aiton that they wouldn't pay attention, but that's a real that's a real. Does McDonough have the balls is the question. No. I don't think No, he he's got two years left on his contract. I think they extended him specifically so that he wouldn't make any panic moves, but that doesn't mean that he's not actually going to. I think he's feeling the heat. He knows how important this summer is. This is the summer, folks. Demands the change <laughs> that you want to see. Make the Suns. They need to be okay. They need to win like 30... 35 games next year and you know we'll see what mcdonough does about that now i expected this to be a longer podcast but we're breaching an hour and 40 minutes now uh do you have anything else that you'd like to bring up that you didn't bring up here before we before we go uh, i think we should just get into our actual predictions for what's going to happen the night of because this is our opportunity to do it all right number one ayton ayton yeah uh, that was easy that was an easy one Number 16. Um, I want Shea, but it's not going to happen, in which case I would want Zaire. I think it's going to be Zaire Smith. Okay. I think we trade it. I don't know where it's going, but I think That's we trade fair. it. Yeah. That's very fair. And I mentioned and those options earlier, talking about a Martell Webster, Mason Plumley, George Hill type. If the Suns can bring in a role player who is, for instance, at the point guard position, who can play off ball with Booker and can shoot and defend, do some decent playmaking, that would be fantastic. Wouldn't mind that one bit. I think the most likely scenario is we trade 16 and 31 to target one of these players like Shea. Uh, we'll see, but that that's my prediction on that one. And at 31, I mean, I'm already saying I think it's going to be traded as well, but what do you think? Um, I want a Kogi, um, but another guy actually we didn't get a chance to talk about is DeAnthony Melton today. Um, his shot is a huge work in progress, so that's why I wanted to have that shooting conversation with you earlier about do you have faith in guys who don't have a shot to develop one later on? 
But DeAnthony Melton, if he can develop a shot, or even if he doesn't, it's going to be an absolute defensive force. I think it's uh, more than likely that he's not going to be available at 31 anymore. But if he could somehow fall, uh, that would also be great. Otherwise, you go with a guy like Akogi. If we take Zaire Smith, then Javon Carter and Jalen Brunson are real options for me and looking for a point guard as well. Um, and then you've got some other guys. Uh, Raleigh Elkins, if you want to go for a guy from University of Arizona, or Melvin Frazier uh, are also good options. But to to condense all of that down into just one projection, uh, Akogi is probably my guy. Yeah, if I had to pick a player at that pick, that's exactly what I would pick. Now, one last thing before we go. Do you think there's any way for McDonough to fail in this draft. I think that this is maybe the easiest draft he's gotten. Do you think there's any way he fails? Uh, that's an interesting question, something I didn't even think about. Is there any way for him to fail? I mean, if he doesn't take Aiton or Doncic first overall, right? <laughs> I mean, I, if he took so Mo trading Bamba, down for Bitty Bitty Bamba yeah, would be Mo, a failure. If he took Mo Bamba or Jaron Jackson Jr. I just or Marvin Bagley, who I, we didn't even talk about, but I'm very low on, I just wouldn't really be able to see how he'd justify that. Um, also, in a strange sort of way, I know I gave three projections for like players I think will pick at different slots, but if McDonough comes away from this draft with three rookies, I think I'm actually going to be kind of disappointed in that. Like, yeah, I, I would so rather too. he I would rather he trades one of the picks for a veteran or trades up. I just don't see how we're going to get the realistic improvement that we need to see out of this team next year by adding three more twenty year olds. I completely agree. I think that he this is the easiest possible scenario for him. I think that he can definitely knock it out of the park. And now that we're getting close to two hours, <laughs> I think we should probably end it there. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We actually have a Twitter account now. It's uh, the Timeline Pod. Find us on Twitter. Follow us there. And uh, hit us up on Reddit. If you're on Reddit, you'll figure out who we are. If you have any questions or anything that you can help us with, let us know. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.